Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. I, I always feel like uh, Pastor Nate picks the hardest texts and asks me to teach him. I know he does not, but I always feel like that because the texts are really difficult. And this text today is one that's difficult for me because I know firsthand uh, dealing with just trying to fulfill the commission and go out and share the gospel with people. You run into all kinds of different voices, and um, I ran into at least three different intellectual atheists that use this text as a reason to not follow God because they read this text and they think, well, that's an attribute that is counter to what your church and your faith system says about God, so I'm not going to believe God. And the story is, it's a promise. We're, we're talking about a promised Messiah. And this is a promise within the promise. It's one of the first promises. But uh, God promises Abraham, he's going to give him descendants, he's going to give him nations, he's going to give him all these things. Um, and then, by the way, you have to sacrifice your firstborn. So a lot of people get shook up, and, and it's, a, it's a difficult task. And we see at the very end, right before anything even happens, um, God steps in and performs what we call substitutionary atonement. It's where the sacrifice, there's a huge requirement for a sacrifice to be made. We are not capable of making it. God substitutes the sacrifice for us, and we are atoned by that. And that's, we're, we're, we're going to scratch the surface of that in this message today about Abraham. But I want to challenge you as we're going that the, the topic, the title here is Faith, Obedience, Sacrifice in that order. It's faith, obedience, and sacrifice in that order. And I want to just kind of ask you to kind of stir your heart now as I'm, as I'm talking. I'm going to throw out some questions and, and just kind of let you, let, let, it, let you chew on it in the spirit and see what God does for you and with you. But my question is this. When you hear from the Lord, or you assume that you hear from the Lord, you, you hear something, what is it that you do with that? You hear from God, or you think you hear from God, you hear something, what is it that you do? Because a lot of believers are tempted right away to hear something from God and then to go out and do something. And, and in the biz, we call that works. We hear from God, we want to go do something, and we want to do a work, and we want to try and help out God with whatever it is that God's trying to do in our lives. And my, my reason for saying this is this idea that, when again, when you're sharing the gospel and you're in Walmart aisle 15 and the lady can't go anywhere and you're telling her about Jesus, you're going to hear all kinds of things. And a lot of people are going to tell you that, that there's things you have to do in order to be saved. Almost all of the major religions in the world require works. They require things to do. But that's what separates us from those other religions is we don't believe that you have to do works to be saved. It's a gift. It's free. In this Christmas season, we're celebrating the greatest gift, which is Jesus Christ. And that's, that is the true gift. You don't have to do something in order to get saved. That's, that's the idea. Like, I feel like I am a sinner and I'm living in sin and I need to stop sinning and then I'll follow Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. We follow Jesus and then Jesus takes all that stuff away in his time. It's not a works-based relationship. I don't have to do things to get saved. I'm going to pray for us to, to get into this. God, thank you again for this fellowship, Lord. I just ask that you open up your word. 
get me out of the way, Lord, all of my studying that I've done. I pray that if you'd change up the script today, I, I, I'd be faithful to follow your lead up here. And even more than that, I pray that if someone's listening out there and they don't know you, they'd be faithful to follow your lead as well. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Well, we're going to be in Genesis 22, but I got, a, I got a really long path to get us there, starting with this. We call this our Bible, and everybody knows that in a Bible, you have an Old Testament and you have a New Testament. Well, what I want you to train your brain to think, when you hear the word testament, I want you to think of the word covenant. So you have the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, you have the New Testament or the New Covenant, but then when you hear the word covenant, I also want you to train your brains to think this, promise. Because it's not just the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, it's the Old Promise. And that's what our series is. It's this promised Messiah. So you have the Old Promise, and then you have the New Promise. And that's, that's where we are at right now. We are in the New Promise. And Abraham is given a promise, and you're going to see, uh, depending on how the Lord calms me down, you're gonna, it's going to make sense, or you're going to have to go back and reread it. But God gives him a promise, and he says, I'm going to give you seed, and I'm going to give you nation. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to do all these things. That's the old promise, and that points towards the new promise that we fall under. And so again, the title is Faith and Obedience. First time we hear of Abraham is in uh, Genesis chapter 11. But from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, there's all kinds of things. You've got the origin of sin. You've got the origin of life. You've got all the origins. You've got, you got the fall of man. You've got things that happen. You have a, a, a universal judgment that falls on all of mankind. And we all know that because Adam and Eve take a bite of the, the forbidden fruit. Now, universally, man is judged. We are cursed. We are separated from God by sin. We work our way to Genesis chapter 6. All men are evil. We got giants on the land. Talk to Brimmer about the giants. But the world is going crazy. God comes down. He judges the world again by what? A flood. Man keeps going. We keep doing all these things. We get, we're starting to get really good at what we do. And we're starting to build this tower into the heavens. And depending on your theological position, you could believe that, that the men are building their success and they're leaving God behind. They're taking all the credit. Or you can believe that they're building an actual portal into another dimension because both make sense to me. God comes down. He judges the world again. He, he, he just screws up all the languages. Three judgments in, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. We get to chapter 11, introduction of Abraham. Abraham comes on the scene. God tells him, I, I, I'm going to bless you with, with land, and I'm going to make you great. I'm going to do all these things, but you know what you got to do? you got to get out of your land, and you got to go where I'm telling you to go, to the promised land. It was the, it was the promised land. And he tells, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. It was a big promise. But if you think about it, he's telling Abraham, I'm going to give you nations. But at that point, Abraham had no children. So he had to accept that by what? By faith. So what does he do? He, gets, he goes out of the land. That God, he goes where God tells him to go. He gets where God tells him to go. And then if you look in your Bible, just like a few sentences, maybe a couple of sentences later, it says a famine hits. And now what does he do? He runs to Egypt. So he has this faith that leads him out to go where God tells him to go. But it's an imperfect faith because now he's feeling like, oh my, like in the biz, OMG, the world's coming to an end. I got to go to Egypt. So he goes to Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, what does he do? He lies about his wife. He says, it's not my wife. It's, it's my sister. 
So he's, his, his obedience does not match his faith. He has faith, but obedience doesn't match. And when he's there, and, and when you're there, and when I'm there, my obedience doesn't match. Man, it's easy to lie about things, isn't it? It's easy to just kind of inflate things or, or minimize things. But here's the thing. This is my encouragement to all of you. If, if we stop right here, this is it. God is interested. He's, he's not interested in you doing the right thing the wrong way. He wants you to hear his voice and be obedient and do what he tells you to do the way he tells you to do it. God confirms this promise later on in, in Genesis 15. There's a sacrifice where the animals are they're spread apart and, and in that custom that you know, you'd walk through with the person and that would seal the deal and, and then that confirms the promise, right? Abraham's my kind of guy. He's so tired. It says he just he like fell asleep. So God goes through the sacrifice on his own and he confirms the promise to Abraham. But at this point, Abraham still doesn't have children. So a couple chapters, well, one chapter later, he takes matters into his own hand. We know the story. Sarah convinces Abraham to sleep with her servant. If you get my servant pregnant, she'll have a child. I'll, I'll be the mother of that child. That was the culture back then. It, it, it's definitely not what we think is good now in any way, shape, or form. But what Abraham do? You listen to her. <laughs> what Adam do? I'm just saying. <laughs> but he sleeps with Hagar, Sarah's servant. She has a child. The child's name is Ishmael. That's definitely not the promised child. That's not the one that God promised. Abraham rushed into it. Again, his obedience didn't match his faith. He listened to his wife. He gets Hagar pregnant. She gives birth to Ishmael. And my question to all of you in here right now is, is there something that you're working on right now that God promised you? He promised it to you maybe when you were little, maybe just a few days ago. He made you a promise and now you're feeling like you've got to take things into your own hands and you've got to help out God somehow. I want to encourage against that. As my brother back there told me a couple weeks ago, you go do that. Do you know what that's called? That's called you making your own Ishmael. You're doing a work in your own strength. You are making an Ishmael. And just like Pastor Nate said last week, what did Adam do? He kind of made his own Ishmael. He sewed together a fig leaf outfit. Imagine walking on stage in some fig leaf pants. It doesn't work. God had to sacrifice an animal in Genesis 3 to cover him with skin. So this sacrifice, the promise, it's, it's scattered throughout all of the scriptures. Genesis 17, God reconfirms this promise again. It's the sign of circumcision. That, that, that is what verifies that this promise is issued. And in that chapter, God changes Abraham's name from Abram because up until this point, it's not Abraham, it's Abram. He changes it from Abram to Abraham. And the irony of this whole part of the scriptures is Abram literally means exalted father. So before he even has a child, his name means exalted father. But then when God changes his name, now his name is Abraham, which means father of many, father of the multitudes. He also changes Sarah's name because Sarah's name was Sarai at that time. He changes it from Sarai to Sarah. And Sarai uh, means striver. Like she's trying to always do something. 
but Sarah means princess. So we have Abraham, who's now going to be the father of all nations, married to Sarah, who is now the princess or the mother of all nations, however you let that stir around in your mind. Fifteen chapters later, God does the same exact thing with Jacob. He changes the, the deceiver, the heel grabber, you know the story. He changes his name from Jacob to what? To Israel. So in our life, I want to ask all of us again, where are, you, where are we at right now? With our faith, with the things that God's told us to do, because we have to have faith and we have to obey, but that obedience has to, to match our faith. And when that obedience matches our faith, then you know what God does? God changes your name. I've said this from this stage before. When you look in a mirror, what do you see looking back at you? Or when you see a picture that's not a selfie, when you can make it look perfect and somebody else takes it, and you see that picture and you're like, what what name do you see? As John 1.12 says that by faith in Jesus Christ, you are a son of God or a daughter of God, right? Call my kids a name. I'm, I'm coming after you. If they call themselves a name, I feel so stupid. I'm, I'm hey, you're a, you're a son, you're a daughter. Let, let your obedience match your faith. And as that happens, God's going to start changing who you are. He's going to change your name. It's not about doing things to get into the kingdom. Next chapter, we have an angel visit. The term is Malach Yahweh. Yahweh means the messenger of Yahweh. He comes on the scene. He's got two pieces of information. Number one, Abraham, you're going to have a child. God's going to fulfill that promise. You're going to have a child, and then we're also going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Very intense chapter. Abraham leaves the area. He goes down to a place called Gerar. While he's in Gerar, the same thing. He, he has some fear inside of his heart. He li- he's still in the promised land. He's just in the south. But he, he lies about his, his wife again. Sarah says it's his sister, who is his sister, by the way, but half-sister, so he's kind of telling the truth, but kind of lying. And he goes there, and he's, he's there. And then we get to Genesis 21. And now in Genesis 21, we got a lot of friction happening. We got Sarah, who sees Isaac, the, the, the promised child of Abraham. He's, he's weaned. He's starting to get older. And then she sees Ishmael teasing him. She loses her mind. She makes Abraham push Ishmael and Hagar out of the camp. And he listens again. Now, I know that Ishmael was not the promised child, but he was still his child by his flesh, by his blood. Now, imagine being a dad having to push your son out because you listened to your wife and your obedience didn't match and now you created a lot of pain that didn't ever need to be there. The pain didn't need to be there had he just had faith had obedience and just listened to what God was telling him. But why is all of this important? It's Christmas. We're getting ready to talk about Christmas. Why? It's important because Abraham demonstrates a couple of things for us. Number one, he demonstrates for us 
some ideal attributes or characteristics of a man of faith. You know, he had faith. He did all these, he did all of these things. But it also demonstrates to us the, the name of our text, this promised Messiah, this, this fulfillment of the promises coming. And when we get to that point, now we're starting to look at the whole Christmas concept. It's the season. God so what? Loved the world. He gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. We know the verse. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis 22. I'm a fan of having a hard copy of your Bible because you can write your notes in it. You might not remember the exact address, but if I have notes, my mind will remember my notes sometimes and kind of steers me to it. You can journal in there. You can do all kinds of stuff when you have your own physical Bible that you read every day. Genesis 22 says this. Starting at verse 1, we're going to verse 18. It says this. After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse eight, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on your boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt sacrifice instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now this is, this is like the, the, the fourth or fifth time that God's given him this promise. 
And he's working it out. And, and as we're going through it, we, we just need to, to listen to what the Lord's telling us as, as we're getting promises from God. We have different things that God's promised us. We're listening. But are we doing? Are we, are we listening and waiting? Or are we listening and, and coming up with our own ideas on how to do it? Let's go back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully have time to chop through this section verse by verse. Looking at Genesis 22, verse 1 and 2, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall show you. In this set of scriptures that we just read, those 18 verses, if you look through it, Abraham says, here I am, three times. The first time is when God calls him. The second time is when his son is starting to put things together. He sees there's about to be a sacrifice, but there's not an animal. He calls his dad, here I am. And then the end, verse 12, or, or where God calls him again, the angel calls us. He says, here I am. I don't know that this is significant, but I want to challenge you in this room right now by, by simply asking the question, where are you? See, Abraham's test of obedience, he gets up early, right? He gets up early and he, and he starts to go where God's telling him to go. Now he's, he's been working towards this, this time. But God calls him, and, and, and I'm saying, where are you? Are you able to, oh, are you able to hear that perfected, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, precious God of the universe? Are you able to answer him, I'm here? Like here? I'm here? Or are we so busy we just don't even hear him? We've got so many things going on. What about your family? When your family needs you and they say, Dad, Mom, are you able to say, here I am? Because the same thing goes there too. If you're so distracted, you've got so much stuff going on, maybe your kids need you, but you're not checked in. You're not there. You're not available. You're, you're, you're distracted. We, we get to volunteer at a, a homeless church up on top of the hill and the majority of them, the majority of them have come from a church background and I'm, I'm willing to believe that a lot of them, their families' availability and obedience did not match their faith because you can talk to them and the majority of them know more theology than, than we do in here and the only thing I can surmise is that they grew up and maybe they were needing somebody and they weren't able to say, here I am. Let's look at verse four. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Now, I just want you to think, I didn't get a whole lot of information from this verse, except the third day is a very, very interesting day. Jesus died. He rose again on the third day. Jonah was in the the belly of the whale, came out on the third day. 
Here, it's the third day into it. God uh, reveals himself. He, he sees where he needs to go. Exodus 19, they're getting ready to hear from God. Moses tells him, hang out here for the third day. We'll come down. You'll get to meet with God on that third day. And I'm wondering if anyone in here right now is heard from God, they're waiting on God, but maybe they're somewhere in between that third day and they're waiting. You're in it, but you're not able to do what Abraham does here, and that's to lift his eyes and to look. Verses five and six says this, Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and I'll come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. So Abraham knows he's going to sacrifice his son. He just pushed his other son out. Imagine the pain. I know I'm going to sacrifice my son. I'm still somehow trusting that God's got all of this. He's going to do whatever it is that God does. But notice what he says. He says, you guys stay here with the donkeys. I will do two things. I will worship and I will return. Let me rephrase that. We, me and Isaac will worship and we will return. So I want you to know this is the first mention of the word worship in the entire Bible. And there's a, there's a law of first mentions and you go back to wherever a word's first mentioned and that, that generally carries the same tone throughout the message. So God fulfills his promise. He begins fulfilling this promise to Abraham. He gives him a child and then what does he do? He tells him to go sacrifice it. And Abraham's faith and his obedience and now he's at the point where he's trusting God with the sacrifice. I'm, I'm getting ready. I got the knife in my hands. And I want you to know, based off what I'm reading here, his worship is preceded by sacrifice and it's pushed off by sacrifices. The worship is right in the middle of sacrifice. And I would dare say worship is sacrifice. Look at verses 8 and 9. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, so both of them went together and they came to the place of which God told him. And Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood on it and bound Isaac, his son. He laid him on top of the wood of the altar. So most translations are going to read it just like this one says right here. God will provide for himself the lamb. But if you read the old King James and a handful of others, it says God will provide himself the lamb. This is substitutionary atonement. You, you can't pay for your own sin. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. It's impossible. You remember verse 7, just one right before, Isaac says, 
Like, where's the lamb? This is iconic because 42 generations later, John the Baptist is going to come along in John 1, uh, 42, and he's going to say, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's, there's so many similarities to this as we're working through the scripture. We've got to know what it's talking about. He is the lamb. And it was John 1, 29. I quoted the wrong verse. But we have the luxury at, at this point to look back at the promise, to look back at the sacrifice and say, yeah, I, 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 believe, I believe in the promise. I believe in the sacrifice. But those guys were looking forward to the sacrifice. They were looking forward to the promise. So it's a little bit different than, than what we have. And if you look in Galatians 3.29, it says that faith in Jesus makes us an heir to the promises of Abraham. So those promises God gave Abraham... Somehow, they're with, with, with us through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. Then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. So Abraham's now at the final step of his obedience. And what, what happens here? The angel calls out. There's a lot, of, a lot of examples of angels in the Old Testament. There's not a whole lot in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, whenever you hear the angel of the Lord or angel of the Lord, I want you to think there's, there's usually two things it can be. It can be either a theophany, which is an, a, an audible, visible representation of God. There's a few of them scattered throughout the Old Testament. Or it can be a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ walking. In, in the flesh. So when you hear the angel of the Lord, that's usually what that means. And most scholars uh, believe this to be a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ coming and saying, I can't even think of it. Abraham, don't lay a hand on him. Guys, Whatever it, whatever it was, this, this messenger of Yahweh, whether you believe it to be a, a theophany that's God the Father or you believe it to be a Christophany in Jesus Christ, I want you to think of the tone. Think of the tone that the angel used. If it's God, he knows he's going to sacrifice his son. Imagine what that sounds like. If it's Jesus, he knows that he himself will be sacrificed one day. And when we read the scripture, we've got we to look at that and see what's going on here. This final step in, in his faith journey, are you able to say in here that your obedience matches your faith as well? Look at verses 12 and 13. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God seeing you've not withheld your hand from your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was the ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and he offered that as a sacrifice. So right here it's saying that God's, it's saying, for now I, I know you fear God. 
I, <laughs> I love talking to brothers before church. I don't know if Paul's still in here, but we're talking about Augustine. Depending on what your theory and your belief system is on eternity. I believe Augustine believed eternity was, a, was like a straight line. It went that way. There's no beginning. It just goes forever. And there's no ending. It just keeps going forever. And then we're somewhere in the middle. Like that's, that's the traditional view of eternity. There's, there's no time in either direction. Mine's like a scattered, I don't know if it's my hybrid of, of thought on eternity, but I believe it's all over all the time. So one day we'll all be in this room together. Danny will be there. I'll be here. Mindy will be there. 800,000 other people in the same spot. I don't know how it's going to work, but I just know this one thing. God is outside of time. He's not bound by our time. And I don't want to do the scripture harm here, but when it says, now I know, I think God already knew. He's outside of time. I believe that he already knew, but I, I'm going to tell you three things that Abraham learned. Number one, he learned that the depth of his own resolve within God. The same with us. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. What, do, have you been tested to a point where you know the resolve within yourself to, to stay on, on the task that Jesus has given you. Because that's one thing Abraham learned. The other thing he learned was that God would not give a promise that he would not keep. And that's where we're at, this promised Messiah. He's not going to give us a promise that he cannot keep. And then the last thing, he learned the value of sacrifice. And so this Christmas season, continue to press in and know that Jesus represents that sacrifice, that perfect gift Verses 14 through 16, we see that, 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 God, that Abraham names that place, the mount of the Lord will provide, and I, I'm, I'm out of time, so I'm going to just skip to the end. I hate timers. <laughs> but he names the place, this is the mount where the Lord will provide. Now, if you get on YouTube and you just type in Jehovah Jireh, some of my favorite songs will pop in because that's what that word means. It's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And in those verses, there's no higher claim that anybody anywhere else could ever say than what this angel says right here. By myself. Myself in this scripture is the one that created the heavens, created the earth, created everything, knows how many hairs are on my head. <laughs> All of you know that too. But he says, by myself, and here's the thing, this sacrifice, this provider, Jesus Christ, will be the one that pays for all of our sin. It's nothing that we can do. Verses 17 and 18 talks about the blessing is for all times. Abraham and the offspring, it, this, this thing is for all of us by faith in Jesus. And so we have Abraham, who's this guy that's not too much different than you and I, he has needs, he has desires, he has hopes, he has dreams. He's waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And God promises you're going to have descendants, you're going to have nations, you're going to have all these things. And again, Romans 4 and Galatians 3 tells us that those things that he's promised are ours by faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted for righteousness. And at the very last minute when he thought he was getting ready to do the sacrifice, God substituted for him. God paid for that sacrifice. And we can't do it ourselves. We can't pay for our own sin. See, God is 
the promise, and God is the sacrifice. So why do we all celebrate Christmas as a time of giving? See, salvation itself is a gift. For Abraham, the gift was the ram at the last minute. And maybe, again, you're waiting for something in your life, and I'm, I'm trying to encourage you, hang on. God's going to provide. Have faith. But how do we get from Abraham, who's a pagan out there, probably worshiping the stars, to this? It's called grace. I always hear Josh Brimmer say it, Grace. It's grace. See, the call of God starts with God, and then all, all we do is just follow in. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What? It is a gift of God. And the bulk of the entire Protestant Reformation was hinged around this concept. It is a gift. It's not something that we have to, to work for. He calls, we respond. Write down these notes, Romans Chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I wanted to go through that, but go back and read Romans 4, verses 1 through 8. Point number one. (laughs) Faith. Right? God calls, we respond in faith. It's not something we do. We We don't hear from God and then automatically start doing stuff. We start making Ishmael's and making fig leaf pants. We respond by faith. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's the idea of Christmas. It's, not, it's, nothing, it's nothing we do. How many of you guys remember 2020? <laughs> that was like the worst year of my entire life. I, I hope other people remember 2020. But I will tell you what happened in 2020. My friend Vic uh, somehow was able to get a shower truck from Nashville to Clarksville. I don't know how he did it, other than it's just Vic. Um, but he gets this shower truck lined up, and R41 kind of spearheads this, this truck coming in, and then all these other ministries are like, man, that's a great idea. It's in the middle of the summer. Everyone's hot and sweaty. It's crazy. These ministries all go up on top of the hill. Shower truck comes in, and it, and it gets set in. Man, the fellowship is sweet. It's, it's the real deal. We're out there ministering. But one thing I want to tell you, I did not see at that shower truck event, I did not see a single homeless person get to the truck and then deny the shower because they needed to clean up first. There's not a one. They they got in, they got in the water, they got cleaned. And what happens when you and I hear from God and we're trying to I just, I got to stop drinking. I got to stop looking at porn. I got to stop smoking. I got to stop doing, I got to start doing these things. I got to give to the poor. I got to, that's not what, that's, that's you trying to get clean before you get in the shower. Amen. The only thing that you and I need to sacrifice right now is our thinking, the way we think about things. Jesus said to repent and believe. Part of me thinks that that repentance is, thinking, like how you think, and you, you change the way you think, and the way you think now directs how you live, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at, but the point is this, none of us sees a shower and then refuses to get in the shower because we're too dirty to get in the shower, you got to have faith to get in the shower, you got to have faith to open up the door, I know that sounds silly, but if I didn't believe the door would open, I'm not going to open it, 
See, Abraham, this is the other part, right? Abraham did not sacrifice Isaac so that God would provide the sacrifice. I'm going to say it again. He didn't sacrifice his son so that God would provide for him. He was faithful to just do it, and God provided before he did the sacrifice. And that's the same thing with us. We don't bring anything to the table. Point number two is faith and obedience. So I want you to think about this. If all I had was the water from the shower, picture in in June and July, it's as hot as can be. I'm sweating. I don't have a house. I don't have a place to live. There's all this insanity around COVID flying around the place and the church is falling apart because their faith and whatever, whatever your views are on COVID, mine aren't very high. But all that's going on and you got these people out there that are just, they've been sweating for days and now there's a shower truck that shows up. Word is on the street, there's a shower truck up on top of the hill by the well. Did you hear about the shower truck? Yeah, I heard about Wow, I, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really there. Let's go. They're obedient to the call. They start walking up. They get, they get to the shower truck they get in the truck. So part I want you to listen to, Paul, wherever you're at. You're in the truck. The water's washing you clean. You're clean. That's all you need. For 10,000 years, we didn't have soap. You're clean. You're washed, right? But now someone introduces dial soap or antibacterial soap of some sort. Now you're clean because of the water, but now your obedience says, okay, I need to use the soap. I'm even, I'm even cleaner now. I look clean, I smell clean, I feel clean. This is the fancy word we use, sanctification. You're, you're saved, but now you're, you're just, your obedience is after you're saved. You're doing, that, that's, the, that's the kind of work. Like, I'm doing it because I'm saved. I'm not doing it to become saved. Point number three is faith, obedience, then sacrifice. Think about that shower truck. Think about the homeless guy. Who sacrificed more? Did the homeless man sacrifice in order to get the truck there? Or did the organization that sent the truck, was it their sacrifice because they had to pay for the gas and the time? Who sacrificed? Not the homeless guy. He got in, he was clean. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, the the Bible is filled with the promise. It's filled with sacrifices. It's filled with all these different things. But what about us right now? Are Are we people like Abraham that have these needs and these desires and these wants? Or can we be like Abraham and have faith like Abraham? Can we be obedient like Abraham? Can we do the sacrifice like Abraham? Our sacrifice now is it's our time, it's our money, it's our heart. You, know, you, don't have to, you don't have to be gullible or a sucker, but man, you see somebody that needs love on them. Pray for them. Psalm 51 verse 17 says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. That means you're broke. And not only are you broke, 
you're literally crushed. Like you've got nothing left. I've been to the bottom. And while I'm at the bottom, somehow I, it goes lower than whatever I thought it was. That's the part. That's the sacrifice when you're, you hit rock bottom and then you go below rock bottom. That's the sacrifice. A broken and a contrite heart. You're crushed before God. That, when you're in that place, that's when that is when we worship. It's a great place to be. Remember the gift was offered before we were ever born. It's not something that we have to work for. It's not something that we have to try and work through. I'm going to bring the, the worship team up because I don't even know how we're going to end this. I apologize. We're already 10 minutes over. But the gift is this. The gift is faith. Right? That's the gift. It, it's grace, God's grace through our faith but we can't even have faith without God giving us the gift of faith. So now we have faith as a gift of God and it's his grace with that faith. It's not ours. I want to ask, will you accept the gift of faith by faith? Will you accept that gift this Christmas season? Because that gift is what leads us to obedience. It's what leads us to the sacrifice that's not even really our sacrifice. God provides Jehovah Jireh. He's there. A lot of people are going to work in order to get saved, but what I'm trying to encourage you this, this year is don't try to get right, then get right. Get right with God. He will get you right. We're going to have, I'm going to ask the pastors if they're in here, can you guys come up? We're just going to ease on out. We're going to pray. If, if you are standing at that trailer and you're like, I, I got to get clean before I get in, don't do that. Come find me. Come find Josh. Find somebody. That's, that's not the recipe. It's faith, obedience, then it's sacrifice. And that sacrifice is not you trying to get right, trying to put some stuff down. That sacrifice is Jesus Christ dying on the cross. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's the Messiah that whoever believes should have, uh, should, should be saved. So we're going to pray. Kelly, you want to lead us out? And then I'm going to have the pastors come up. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.